This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. Good morning, Emmanuel. Oh, come on now. Good morning, Emmanuel. What's up, Elk River, Maple Grove, Spring Lake Park? Those are Emmanuel at home today. So glad that we could gather together to worship, to worship Jesus, and, uh, and enjoy and thank him for good weather. Come on, somebody. Uh, I, yes, 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 yes. It just does my heart warm to have that experience of warmth outside too, right? It's been a good, good thing. Hey, we're in our final week of our Redwood Faith series. We've been talking about the type of faith that is possible found in Scripture where you see the, the connection of believers, and we've used the metaphor of the redwood trees and the redwood forest of these tall trees that grow hundreds of feet tall, and, and, uh, and they live for hundreds of years, and the secret to their, their longevity and their strength is the root systems are interconnected to each other, and we've paralleled that to the relationships that are possible in the body of Christ. And today, I am very excited as we end our series because there's hope in the house. The title of my message is Results, and I wanna talk about the result of what happens when you are connected, what could be if you are connected in your own personal journey. And first, I want you to reflect on this last year. Think about the last year. It's been kind of crazy, hasn't it? Uh, Just thinking about the change in life, the change in lifestyle, the, the, the um, pop of the balloon of optimism, if you will, where it seems as though things have been lost that we thought would happen, and uh, even how we relate to one another, one another uh, the fact that you know, a virus has gone through the land is one thing, but also so many other things have happened, and the, the effect of that or the results of that could, it, could be that you lose your own personal optimism. It could be that you lose your, your own desire to keep going in your marriage. It could have an effect on how you feel about your relationships in your life or your career. Career. I know people that have just opted out of life itself because they're like, I'm just out of here. They don't want to even try anymore, and they're on a downward spiral. And, and I just can tell you that um, th- when you lose what, we, what I call the vital optimism, which is this idea that even if I have a setback, things are going to work out. Somehow this is going to work out okay. When you lose your vital optimism, everything can fall apart from there. Or... You can regain your vital optimism. There could be a different story written in your life. And I want to encourage you today that as you've come to church today, that you could have a vital optimism story in your life. That you can have the balloon filled back up. Come on, somebody. That, that, that the marriage doesn't have to end. That there can be hope and promise for the future. And even if there's been an economic setback or something like that, that there is still Jehovah Jireh in your life. God, our provider that can provide a way through your, in your story. And I really think that the key to us, one of the keys for us of discovering that kind of life is just what we've been talking about and is what Jesus declared when he stood in Matthew chapter 16, when he stood on the street corner in Caesarea Philippi, which was a town 
And uh, it was a place of commerce, and it was a world city, so people would come from all over the world. And it would be like standing in uh, front of Wall Street, if you will, where all the socioeconomic engines of the, of the day were there. And it was right there that Jesus makes his first statement about the church. And I want you to see how he talks about it here in Matthew chapter 16. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And by the way, there are people that just see church or Jesus as just another one of, of a list of solutions. That he's just another name out there, another option, if you will. And that's basically what was going on in that day and age. But Jesus, <laughs> he, says, he asked them, what do, but who do you say I am? So he, and it's not just what everybody else is saying. He turns to his disciples and says, well, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. It's a prophetic statement that God's spirit inspired Peter to say. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Jesus says he will build his church, now it's really important to understand here, he's not saying it's Peter's church. He said, I'm gonna build my church, not Nate's church. He says, I'm gonna build my church. Everybody said, my church. So Jesus says he's gonna build something so powerful that hell has not, nothing in it that can stop Jesus' church. Literally nothing. Think about this with all the things you are fighting right now. All the stuff going on, the confusion, the frustration, the anger, the uncertainty of all the things in, uh, that are going on in the world right now. Jesus' church is the only thing that is unstoppable. And Jesus says, I will build it. In other words, Jesus is going to go into the construction business, that he's gonna to begin to build something that is more powerful than any ideology, any governmental system, any socioeconomic uh, uh, position of, of power. He's going to build something that is so strong that hell can't stop it. So what did Jesus mean by the word Church. Some people think about church and they think in terms of building size. They think in terms of worship style. They think in terms of city impact, whatever it may be. But what did Jesus mean by church? Well, very simply, a church is the called out ones. In other words, he was going to pick people to form his church. Jesus was not thinking of buildings. He was thinking of people. And he's basically going to form something out of something. 
he was going to start picking people. And you see this in the Gospels where he goes along and he picks them and he calls them out to become a part of his church. Uh, When I was a kid in elementary school, um, they would play sports at, at the recess time. How many remember recess time? And, uh, and then they would always play a game. Maybe it was soccer, maybe it was something else. And they would pick teams. Sometimes I was the last person picked, but I made the team. And I, I remember getting picked. Well, Jesus picks his team. He forms a church. Other, other uh, um, metaphors for this are family. He begins to form it, and he calls people out. And he takes them from all kinds of worlds and cultures, and he brings them into a new kingdom culture, a Jesus culture, if you will. In other words, what he's going to form isn't like what they're coming out of. It's different. So he's going to form something new in his new kingdom called his church. And as he calls them out, he, he does it not just, uh, it's both a, an event and a process because when you come into the kingdom, you come through salvation. How many are thankful that you're saved? Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you haven't had it yet, you can today at the end of the service. You can give your life to Jesus. But it's not just an event. It's also a process. Because the stuff you're coming out of, the culture that you're coming out of, has a whole way of thinking in it that sometimes takes an entire lifetime to learn the new kingdom culture way. There's a process to understanding how Jesus' way is different than your mama and daddy's way or the neighborhood way or the city way or the school that you went to way. The kingdom culture, the Jesus culture is different. As Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the one true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now, I got some volunteers that are going to help me tonight, right now. I just went around during worship and picked them out. Why don't you come up here right now? If I talk to you, you can just come on up here. And then, uh, yeah, come on, on, on up. All right. Now, I need, I need one more female, so one of you guys are going to have to go back. Uh, oh, that's all right. Bro, come on up. I'll, I'll use you. I'll use you. Come on up. We'll figure out how to do this. You're going to be in this circle. And Analia, you can come up and be another. I just don't want one lady by herself. All right, so we'll have you take the chair, Analia, right here. And you can stand up, my brother. There we go. There's always room in the circle, right? Come on. Now, I want you to consider the way that Jesus does this is he calls people out of all of the world, the society that we live in, his children, and he calls them into something. And we're not all the same. We're really different from each other. Uh, we, need, we, need, we look at the world differently differently. We come out of backgrounds that are different, but Jesus calls us together. That means that there's going to be tension. 
There's going to be tension between us when we come together. Now, how many know there's tension outside the church? All right, there's tension, differences of opinions and whatever else. And Paul says, listen, there's need. he gives a, a list of different things that you're not. When you come together, you're one. You're part of the body. But out there, there are other things, and there's other tensions going on. But when you come together, that doesn't mean that you don't see the world differently because there's just different opinions. And Paul essentially is saying you need to get rid of the hyphen between you and other people. See, we can say, I'm a Christian, but some people would say, well, I'm a Southern Christian, or I'm an evangelical Christian, or I'm a Republican Christian, or I'm a Democratic Christian, or I'm a millennial Christian, or I'm a whatever, we can go through the list, or I'm a Argentinian Christian, or I'm a Minnesota Christian, or I'm a Green Bay Packer Christian. Is that possible? I don't know. All those things, like we can come up with, we got our own labels that we carry with us. And Paul is saying, get rid of the hyphen. Because when you come together, you are all part of the same group of people called his church, his body. And it will be a process. Because when you come in and you're getting together and it's Redwood Faith and say you're in a connect group or you're in relationship and you're seeing world events going on, Different groups of people see the same picture through a different lens. But because of the love of Jesus, as you gather together, there are results from being connected. We strengthen one another. We sharpen our arguments with each other. We learn new perspectives. We grow together because we are one church. Can I get an amen to that? I want you to consider... I didn't ask any of these people up here to talk today. But then when Jesus plants you in the house of God, you are not just an attender at a church service. When Jesus calls you to be a part of his church, you're called to this. And this can extend to any setting. It can be in a room like we're in right now, or it could be in a home. It could be two or three of us gathering together at the grocery store. Come on, somebody. It could be Emmanuel at home because Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there. I believe even the Emmanuel at home, people are watching us online right now. If you're really in, you're not just observing us like Netflix, but that in your heart that you're a part of this, then something powerful becomes part of your story. You become a part of the church that Jesus said the powers of hell cannot stop. Can I get an amen to that? All right, would you give it up to my friends up here? You guys can go sit back down. Go ahead and sit back down. Thank you for your help. So I want you to consider four powerful results of gathering or connecting to the church. The first one is this. We experience movement toward Jesus' culture. That's possessive, his culture. We experience movement. Something happens when we gather together, especially when we're in relationship with each other. Now, culture is the way we do things around here. How many know when you get married, there's a culture class? So how do you handle the toilet paper? And how do you squeeze the toothpaste? 
And how do you handle holidays? And what kind of food are you going to, there's a culture clash. Well, when you come together with the body of Christ, there's going to be cultural clashes, but love rules over all of the differences. And when you're in relationship, you don't have the option of saying, listen, I'm out of here because I don't like your opinion about something. Because you're me. We're a part of the same body. You're an arm. I'm a foot. It doesn't matter. I can't eject myself from the body. I need to be connected to the body. And as I'm connected, it's actually my differences that help me grow. If everybody thought the same way I did, everybody saw the world the same way I did, I would never grow. I need to be in relationship with other people who, as I'm growing, worshiping together, as we spend time together, we read the word together, we serve, we just have fun. It's not even churchy sounding stuff, but we're together. Something begins to move in me. It's impossible for you to be in true spiritual relationship with the church and remain the same. You have to move. There's something moving inside. You've already got the, the tug of war between you and your flesh, temptations and the things that you're facing. But when you're in relationship now with the body of Christ, now those roots that are connected become a part of your strength to say no to sin. Because when I'm in relationship with other believers, there's something I'm a part of. I can't say yes to sin because I'm in the body of Christ and my sisters and brothers around the circle are part of what helps me keep going. It's something absolutely critical for me to understand. And on top of that, when we look at the world around us, there are opportunities to have different visions of what we think should happen. But two different visions are division. See, when we come into the body of Christ, we come into the body, his church. Whose church is it? Is it the person next to you's church? It's Jesus' church, right? Is it Pastor Nate's church? It's Jesus' church. Think about this. For me, I get emails all the time from people who have opinions about what we should do as a church. And I, I'm thankful people care about our church. But I'm just going to tell you, this is not a democracy. And so I don't just do what you want me to do. That's consumer church. You only do it, you only come to a church because they make you feel good or they give you what you want. No, this isn't even nature. This is Jesus church. So anything that we need to do, I need to go, Jesus, do you want us to do this? Jesus, is this your idea? Jesus, and if he says not yet, no, then guess what? We don't do it. Even if it disappoints somebody. We got to do what Jesus wants us to do. And as we're together, Jesus' mind becomes our mind through relationship. We discover, why doesn't that person go out and do this, this, and this? Why, as another believer, why do they spend time, more time praying than I do? Why, 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 do, why do they not swear? What is it going on in their marriage? How do they handle their ethics? You begin to discover a different way of living as Jesus' culture becomes a part of your culture. 
there's movement inside of you. As Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? Think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Listen, as we're together, God does something. This is why, like, if there's been one thing this last year that has really been difficult for me as a pastor, it's the church being disconnected from each other. Because something powerful happens when we are together in the discipleship journey. Think about how Jesus chose to disciple his disciples. How did he mentor them? He did it in the group. They were fighting with each other. They didn't get along. That's how Jesus grew his character in them. They had to change the way they thought in the context of relationship. Somebody being different than you and having a different opinion is not a sign that you're not to, to be friends with them. It's a sign, especially if they're in the body of Christ, it's a sign that together you both need to grow. And as you lean into the relationship, God will grow you. He'll move you. This is why we, we're talking vision-wise, why we want to do missions trips, why we now call Kingdom Builders trips. And I think it's time to start planning for those to expand the mission of God around the world and, and to allow God to use the people of God. But listen, it's also about you going with other believers on a team and growing together. It's not happening on Sunday morning for an hour while you listen to me yell at you. The biggest growth happens when you do life with other people. We need to grow in that, all right? Four powerful results of gathering with the church. There's movement in you. Secondly, worship wins the spiritual battle that we can't see. There's other things going on. Paul said, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities in high places. How many know there's a spiritual world too? And there's crazy things going after your family, going after our society, trying to disrupt unity. I think the accuser, capital A, found in Revelation, I think the accuser is going around and accusing people all over the place and trying to disrupt unity in any relationship, whether it be marriage or a society. He's trying to destroy relationships. And when we begin to worship, there's a kingdom level of math. I love what it says in Joshua 23. Each one of you will put to flight a thousand of the enemy for the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. Well, one can go a thousand, two can go 10,000, it says somewhere else. When we begin to worship, something beautiful happens, whether it's, whether it's in a large sanctuary or it's in your kitchen or it's while you're driving. When you begin to worship, there is warfare going on, fights taking place, Jesus winning battles that you have no idea about. Something moves in the spirit when you begin to worship. Listen, the church is not just a song, some kind of glorified big choir on Sunday where we just feel good about singing. Half the people in the room feel awkward when they're singing because they don't know how they sound to other, other people around them. No, when we sing and we worship, something powerful happens. It's supernatural. You set supernatural things into motion when you worship God. 
And when we gather together, there is supernatural activity. That's why it matters that you get connected to the body. It's why it matters that you come to church. It's not so that Pastor Nate, Nate feels good about the size of the crowd on a Sunday or, or Pastor Brian in Elk River or James in, in Maple Grove. It's not about uh, the size of the crowd. It's about what happens when you worship and somebody next to you who's totally different from you may speak a different language than you, may have a different skin tone than you. But when we all worship the same Jesus, there is a movement in heaven where heaven's armies go to work on our behalf in ways that we cannot see. Some of us need to praise God and worship for our children, for those confusing things that we can't control that are going on in the next generation. And you're worried about how to fix it. Maybe you don't need to worry about how to fix it. Maybe you need to worship and let God go to work in the heavenlies over your children. Can I get an amen to that? There has to be movement. Something supernatural happens when we worship together. I'm so convinced of this, even the new opportunities that God is doing because it works around the world. I remember a founding pastor used to say, it's not the gospel if it doesn't work everywhere in the world. So it doesn't just work when there's a sound system or a band, but it works in huddled up homes in the Middle East where it's illegal to be a Christian. And as believers whisper their worship to Jesus, he's going to war for them. It works in China, and it works in South America, and it works in Asia, and it works at home. And in this last year of the pandemic, as people gathered in their homes and they worshiped with our church together, I believe spiritual warfare was taking place in your neighborhood as you joined your fellow believers that you couldn't see, you didn't know what, what else someone else was doing, but they were joining online with you. Supernatural things were happening because we were together in worship. Can I get an amen to that? Something happens when we do that. Our faith and our courage rise as we worship Jesus together. As Revelation 12, 11 says, and they have defeated him, the accuser, by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. I love how when Jehoshaphat was facing an overwhelming army, an obstacle, and he thought that he was going to die, God gives him a word in 2 Chronicles 20. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. This is the result of gathering together. The third thing, the powerful results of gathering with the church is our prayers become powerful. It's one thing to pray alone. It's another thing to pray together. And we have our Seek First service that's coming this Wednesday where we'll gather to worship and pray in our sanctuaries at each of our locations. I think it's important that we keep, continue to pray together because the things that are going on outside are moved and changed by prayer. In Acts chapter 12, the church is growing Things are happening, and the people in the government of that era did not like it, and persecution 
comes at the church. It says in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church, and he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. How many know that's not a good day for the church? And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. And then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. This is the same Peter that Jesus made the declaration about, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not prevail against it. And this is a moment in the church's story where they're like, is that true? Are you for real about this? Because it doesn't seem like it's happening. Perhaps you've been in those moments where a loved one dies or someone you know has a disease or something happens in a job loss. And in that moment, you're tempted to go, I'm not sure if Jesus is real about the promise that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. You might even think, I don't wanna go to church. I don't wanna be a part of the church. If this is the result, I don't wanna be in church. You might wanna pull away. You might wanna go, you know, I don't wanna be in this circle anymore. But I want you to understand that in those moments, it's not just about your prayer, it's about the prayer of the people that you surround yourself with. Because it says while Peter was in prison, the church earnestly prayed for Peter. In other words, you need somebody praying for you and with you. You might be alone in your story, but your connection to the church opens up new opportunities for God to move in your life, for God to move in your family. And the church begins to pray earnestly. I won't go on to read the whole story, but then God sends angels, sets Peter free supernaturally. And Peter walks out of prison. He's not sure if he's in a dream or if this is real. Walks up to the gate of the house where people were praying. And as he walks up, it says this in verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, and where many were gathered, gathered for prayer. And he knocked at the door of the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. And Rhoda goes back and she tells the people he's here, and they're like, no, that's not for real. And sure enough, it's Peter. This is what I love about the development, not just the event, but the growth and the process of faith, Redwood faith. Because they didn't, they had not yet had a miracle like this in the church. But now Peter's at the door and Peter comes in and God had answered their prayer supernaturally. I'm telling you, after this moment, anytime there was a problem or somebody was in prison, they knew what to do. They knew it was time to get back and pray together. Why? Because they knew God heard their prayer when they gathered. What would it be like if not 
you know, everybody gathered together. It was after a service and you got in a circle. You laid a hand on a brother or sister. Or you, you joined in prayer across a Zoom call for your group this week or whatever. What would it be like if you were drawing from the scripture or the truth of the scripture that simply says when you earnestly pray, God answers and the person doesn't even have to be in the room as you're praying for your wayward child or you're praying for a breakthrough in finances or you're praying for somebody that's sick and you begin to pray and you're in the circle they aren't even in the room the people you're praying for what would it be like if you believed that God was answering your prayer sometimes sometimes people don't believe it because they're like well I'm not a super Christian and I I I I sinned this week or I'm not as mature as some other believers but I want to I want to tell you something if you sit in this circle I could go around and say How did you get here? Jesus saved me. How did you get here? Jesus saved me. How did you get here? Jesus saved me. I was a sinner, but Jesus saved me. All of us are on the same plateau when it comes to prayer. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm invited into his family. We get to pray together. And when we pray together, God answers our prayers. Come on, somebody. He answers our prayers. Jesus said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys, the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. When you pray with the church, you get the keys. He says, whatever you prohibit, I like to use the the visual of a stop sign. Whatever you say stop to in the heavenlies, devil back off my daughter, devil back off my son, devil get off this family. When you begin to pray, and you prohibit those things, the Bible says something in the supernatural begins to happen. And because Jesus is with you, how many know when two or three are gathered together in his name, Jesus said he's there. How many know the devil's got to mess with him, with Jesus on that promise? Jesus said, I'm going to let you throw a stop sign against those things in your life and people around you. And then he says, but you also can allow things Jesus, I pray that you would send an overwhelming revival to this country. Jesus, I pray that all this division in our land and brokenness of heart and anger towards each other, you begin to change. Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would send somebody into my alcoholic brother's life and that you would send the right people at the right time, even behind bars, that, Lord, you would intervene in his life, that only Jesus would get into that story. You can pray godly things over people's lives and God will answer you. Come on, somebody. I'm believing for a church that when we pray, we're not just praying little flimsy prayers over the food and just saying, God bless this food and make it non-caloric. You know, we're just kind of like acting like it's just a mundane, natural thing. No, when we pray, supernatural things begin to happen. Lord, we need a healing in my brother's body. Lord, his mind is confused right now. Would you put his thoughts back together again? Would you move the neurons into the place that they need to be? Would you raise them up and restore them to the glory of God? Can you pray together God-sized prayers? Come on, somebody. I'm going to run out of time here in a minute. The fourth thing is this. The result, when you are connected to the church, you're gathering. Jesus helps us persevere 
to the end together. Jesus helps us. I don't know how he does it, but somehow through all of the seasons of life, he somehow keeps bringing us back together and he gives us the courage and the fuel to keep moving forward. We all need each other. We need a Barnabas. In the scripture, Barnabas was an encourager. They came alongside and believed in somebody. You got a Barnabas in your life? We need somebody in our lives in the body of Christ that would cheer us on. We need a Nathan, a prophet that will say, hey, dude, you need to stop doing what you're doing. Like he did to David when he had sinned with Bathsheba. We need people that will speak life into us like a father in the spirit, a spiritual father, a spiritual mother that will speak life over us. We need a Naomi to a Ruth to stay on the journey. You can keep going. You might feel like quitting, but you can keep going. This week I ran across a story. It's a beautiful story of an old man who goes to beauty school so he can do his wife's hair after she lost her sight. The story says a 79-year-old man from Alberta, Canada went to beauty school last week for a lesson on how to do his beautiful wife's hair and makeup. His wife of 50 years has always taken pride in her appearance and it's important to her, but due to failing eyesight, it became increasingly difficult. So the director of this college said that the husband who has chosen to remain anonymous wanted to first learn how to do his wife's hair as he kept as she kept burning herself with a curling iron because of her vision impairment. And he lovingly pulled pictures from his wallet, showing everyone his wife and boasting about how beautiful she has and always will be and how talented she was. Her appearance has always been something she has taken pride in and it's important to her, so it's important to him. He's turning 80 in May and I think he is also a very brave man for stepping into a hair college and asking for lessons on styling hair. I don't think too many men would do that, the director said. This is what I want you to think. Keep that picture up there for a moment. I want a love for Jesus and a love for the church that's like that guy. That when things don't work out, I don't stop. I keep moving. I look for ways to stay engaged and connected to the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ is beautiful to Jesus, it's beautiful to me. So I may have served in, in kids' church when I was younger, but as I'm older, I need to find new ways to stay connected because just going to church or just watching it online is not enough. I need to be connected to other believers if I want my faith to persevere. I got work to do. Turn to the person next to you and say, you got work to do. And I know there were some wives talking to some husbands about going to beauty school. You got work to do. I hope you're catching the heart of what I'm saying today. Because when it comes to who we are, we get so much benefit from being connected to the body of Christ, that we need to fight hard to stay connected so that movement, kingdom movement, 
happens in us, that the kingdom culture is updated in our lives so that our worship becomes powerful in our everyday life because we're connected and worshiping together so that our prayers are powerful and so that we persevere. Friends, I'm telling you, there is more possible than what you've seen. I'm going to ask everybody on each campus to stand with me right now. We're going to go into a time where we begin to sing and we begin to worship. And a little bit later, if you want to give your life to Jesus, you can do that. Campus pastors will pray with you later on in the service. But for right now, I want to get our eyes and our focus and attention on Jesus, who is considered to be the author and the finisher or the perfecter of our faith. And to consider that we we get to connect to him, not by ourselves, but we get to do it together. I want you to look around right now. Look at the people in the room. Look around you. And if you're online, you can just get to look at me, I guess. Or you can look at your toddler or whoever else is in the room. I want you to realize y'all need each other. We need each other. You aren't just worshiping by yourself in a little spot, a three-foot spot in your row. No, you're worshiping amongst hundreds of other believers who believe in the same Jesus are coming up underneath his authority who can move the supernatural and God can move on your behalf. You need each other. So as we worship, as we pray today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you in a prayer in just a moment. I'm going to pray over our church and then we're going to worship in each campus. When I say amen, each campus you can go and begin to worship. But I want us to begin to engage and lean in and be connected both with the Lord and with each other and allow God to do a new work in our stories. I want you to just lift your hands to heaven right now with me. Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, that the, the promise is that, Lord, you would build your church. I pray, put your construction sign on our lives right now. Go to work. Build your church in us. We're the church. I pray, God, that you would build us and connect us, that you would challenge us, Lord, that you would lead us, that you would download your life into us, that, Lord, that you would give us a pathway to walk, that as we're together, that you would lift up the weary in spirit, that you would, Lord, heal the sick, that, Lord, you would set the captive free, that your anointing would break the yoke, that there would be an anointing across all of our locations. I pray as we worship you, Jesus, you would fill the temple, that, Lord, you would move in. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.